I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. everybody, Paige here with Ben, and it's the time of the podcast where we talk about Disney movies and the metaphors that we can find within them that we can use for our personal development. So if you've been following along with us so far, initially we started going in order chronologically of the movies, and we decided that we're going to start bouncing around so we can make sure that we hit on the ones that we really, really love. And that we want to watch again, because otherwise we'd, there's a lot that we'd have to get through. <laughs> All of them are good. All of them are pretty good. But today we're going to talk about Lady and the Tramp. So we just rewatched the movie last night and we're super excited to tell you all about the different metaphors that we found in that movie. What a sweet love story. Did Benji cry? Yes. Benji Benji cried. cried. (laughs) (laughs) So I think one thing that's interesting about this movie, I just want to notice this because we heard that this was was happening uh, like a couple of weeks ago, but we hadn't seen it happen yet until we were watching... Lady and the Tramp, Disney has started putting a disclaimer at the front of some of these movies saying that there's harmful stereotypes within it. Yeah, these basically these views that are expressed, it says they weren't right then, they're not right now, but we're leaving the content in there. We're leaving making it whole because we want to spark conversation and I thought I pers- I mean, what do you think of that, Paige? I I kind of think that's I think that's like a really responsible way of doing what they're trying to do there. Yeah, I think that there's value in preserving the history of those movies and also putting the disclaimer up just as a way to kind of spark conversations so that people are just being on the lookout for harmful stereotypes and that we're like discussing them and continuing to grow as a humanity and like how we talk about people and different groups of identities. That for sure. Like one of the things, one of the questions that I had, and maybe we'll get to some of this, I think, in the podcast, but what exactly are they talking about? The one that comes to mind is the the Siamese cats, but I don't really like having watched the movie. I'm not really sure. I mean, yeah, they did not great accents for them. Is that what it's about? Is it because they're like Siamese and they're like just associated with trouble? Like, I'm not really sure. I, I think it would be interesting to hear some conversation or some opinions about it. I think there are some other things that are in it that... I kind of doubt that that's what Disney was talking about when they brought it. But there are certainly some some things for sure that I could see as being risky conversations or risky things, content to have out there on in the world. And I think Disney did a really interesting thing. They're like, don't cancel us. We're going to let you know right now that this was I like that they say it's wrong now and it was wrong then. It's just an interesting uh, thing. So it's neither here nor there for the story. Shall we run through the story again like we usually do just to kind of give refresh people's memories on Lady and the Tramp if you haven't seen it recently and if you haven't seen it at all, 
Come on, go watch it. Oh, Lady man. Pink. It was so nice to rewatch it. I was really surprised how many of the parts I remembered. And I was like, oh, in this part, the beaver comes and he cuts the like leash off of her. And like, I haven't thought about that since I was a kid. So while watching Pinocchio, I remember being like, gosh, this is kind of boring. But Lady and the Tramp, not at all. I didn't have that experience even a little bit while we were watching that. It's a captivating it's like really story. Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty good. It's so interesting to me to note that in Joseph Campbell's work around the hero's journey, usually the kind of he conceptualizes quite often that the hero is male. And there's so many Disney movies where like the hero is in again is necessarily lady like she's the star of the of the story yeah tramp is an afterthought he doesn't yeah he's like an ancillary role to like her growth and development i mean he also has his own like growth and development and like transformation as well i just thought that that was really interesting and i i want to break come back to that too because we mentioned it a little bit before but there are like I suspect, and the more I watch Disney movies, the more I see that there are actually two hero narratives. There's a male hero narrative and there's a female hero narrative. They both show up in this one. And I love, uh, so I'm excited to talk about that. But first, let's just run through the story. Lady is a gift under the Christmas tree as a puppy. There's this really cute scene, which really landed with me because we just went through this with Pixie, but <laughs> she, where they they try to put her in her bed and then go to bed and she's whining at the door. And, and yeah, it really, it really like remembering us a year ago, getting a new puppy and being like, oh, remember when she used to just like follow us around and it was so cute. And we were like yeah. five minutes into the movie and I was already sobbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that was so funny. But yeah, but it's, and it was so true to life, like just the way that she was whining and dad comes down the stairs and he's like, lady, no whining. And she like tries to follow him and he like goes and puts her back in the basket. And then ultimately she winds up just like brute forcing her way into their room and whining at the foot of their bed until they just say, okay, but just for tonight and put her in the bed. And then just for tonight. that's the creative like time lapse where she wakes up as an adult the next morning in the same spot where they put the puppy. But so the, the story starts, it's, it's lady's story. How much she loves the the couples, Jim Deere and Darling, because that's how they call each other. And everything's perfect. And she has like some dog friends in the neighborhood. And a few months in where she gets her her collar, they make a big deal of it, which we'll we'll come back to because they're, you know, oh, it's the it's the highest honor that a man can bestow is your is your like your collar and your your license. And then we see the couple starts to kind of ignore her a little bit and she's trying to figure out what's going on because usually she's like the center of their attention and turns out that they're pregnant and this is where tramp enters the story and he's like oh yeah there's a baby coming you're about to get abandoned he's like you you know you was it was steak dinners and now it's you know now whatever leftover Leftover baby baby food food is (laughs) yeah it was a warm hearth but you know on the fire and and then now it'll be a uh drippy a leaky doghouse dog yeah that's it and uh, anyway he goes to this he builds up this like fear narrative so she's really scared they finally have the baby jim deer holds lady up to see the baby and she just falls in love that i think is the is the sparking off of the female heroic journey at that at that point so we'll, we'll come back to that the next scene is the aunt comes to watch the aunt baby sarah. aunt sarah mm-hmm. yeah but she does not like dogs she's not a dog person aunt sarah takes her to the pet supply place to get a muzzle for her mm. and then we have a scene that as you pointed out is very similar to the scene from snow white 
where she has this is like her embarking into the wild where she gets really frightened and runs away and there's stray dogs chasing after her and she's basically running for her life and that's like the end of her sense of safety yeah and then tramp comes and saves her from these these dogs and then it takes her on this whirlwind date you know 24 hours of just like adventure and whining and dining we have the famous and then the spaghetti scene (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which, you know, you've tried it. If you're listening to this, you've done the spaghetti scene at least once in your life. I know you have. And then we, they wake up in the morning. Tramp is just like, uh, he's like in love. And or, and he's like, he's just like spinning out this world for her. He's like, look down there. You see, what do you see? And she says, I see yards and houses. And, and he says, yeah, but look out there. What do you see? There's like, there's beyond the houses, beyond the yards, there's a whole world and it's just for us, for two dogs living in their freedom. And she says, yeah, but the baby, I would miss the baby. Who's going to take care of the baby? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I'll take you back. Lady winds up in the pound. Then we have this scene where there's all these dogs in the pound and she's both resented and admired for her collar. Envied, yeah. Mm-hmm. For her, her collar. Her collar and her license is like her ticket to freedom and all the other dogs don't have that. And then there's a scene where one of the dogs, like he's been in the pound too long and then he goes through the, the what is it, the, the one-way door? The one-way or door, like the, yeah. Yeah, and it's like he's going to be put down, which really highlights the kind of privilege that comes from having this license and maybe even highlights like classism or whatever. And so then she gets out, they wind up coming and getting her, and now she's so mad at Tramp. And meanwhile, while she was in there, she heard about all of Tramp's escapades. and All of his girlfriends. Know, yeah, exactly. And all of his girlfriends. And one of the, one of the dogs is a female dog in the, in the prison. She's now res- really resentful of Tramp because she's heard all these stories. And then a rat that we had an allusion to in the beginning comes back. Tramp chases it off. They get in trouble again. She finally breaks free. Aunt Sarah drops dime on Tramp, sends him to the pound. This is the first time he's actually been captured because he's usually able to get out. Ladies' friends never loved Tramp, and everybody thinks Tramp actually was trying to hurt the baby until Lady goes and shows the dead rat in the room because Jim Deere and Darling got back. And then the next thing you see is they let Tramp out, and then Jim Deere and Darling are there, to, and they adopt him, basically, into the house, and happy ending. They've got puppies. And they got puppies. So a few, few things that I think are going on in this I, that I think are really interesting. Uh, one is this kind of divide between freedom and security. Tramp is living the life. You know, he wakes up in a barrel, stretches. He loves his life. He's just, he runs around. He goes, he's like, Who, where do I want to eat today? And then he goes, he's like schmoozed all these, <laughs> all he these different like restaurants. a different family for a different each day of the week. Every day of the week, based on what kind of food he wants to eat. He goes to whatever family. And then you have Lady, who she does not have that freedom, right? She she has some freedom, but she's very tied to her family. And so she doesn't get to have all the different meals, but she gets to have the family. There's a scene that really like highlights kind of this contrast for me is when Tramp finds himself in Lady's neighborhood. And he's like, oh, look at over here in this like fancy dancy neighborhood where there's, I bet there's a lid on every trash can and a fence around every tree. I and wonder what the dogs out. in this... Yeah, and I wonder what the dogs in this neighborhood do for fun. Like, how fun could this possibly be? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, it, like, it's limiting his freedom. Yeah, and he, and then he meets Lady and, and Jock and uh, Jock and Trusty. And comes in, and, he, and he's, like, got that tension even from the beginning. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you, like, kept dogs. 
Which is an interesting dichotomy because then you go to the pound later and you have all these dogs that are so envious of the of the collar because they are unlucky enough to get captured and put in the pound, which that never happens to Tramp. So it's like it's kind of, it's an interesting dichotomy here between like the freedom and safety because he's like, oh, you got to live the life of freedom. But it's only because he has been able to avoid getting captured that he has he has like a quote unquote like privileged mindset of the world of freedom as it is. What do you think about this piece of like, because it seems like Lady and Jock and Trusty are kind of looking at their life and really like indulging in kind of like the privilege of the safety and luxury and like having everything they need. And they're kind of looking down on Tramp and his way of life. And then Tramp is also kind of looking back down from where he's at on his way of life. I think that that's like an interesting, like we see that play out all over like our, our world, like our society, different groups of people judging different groups of people and really like who, who has it better? I mean, it is interesting because if it were anyone other than Tramp doing the looking down on the, the Park Avenue dogs or whatever, I think that it would be like a fox and sour grapes kind of a situation where they're like, oh, like you can't have it. So you look down on the thing because they're all envious of the collars. Right. But tramp tramps a little bit of a different situation because he's not actually envious of the collar. Like in a, in a very genuine way, he is on a heroic journey for immortality through song. He wants his exploits to be sung for, for ages. Right. And they literally sing a song about him. So what's really interesting because that, because that heroic journey for the masculine heroic journey is immortality through accolades through like your your name in the stars or your your face to in like the stars become so a legend. yeah to become a legend mm-hmm. that's that's what the heroic myth is always about for for the masculine archetype okay but the feminine archetype has a different heroic objective the heroic objective for the feminine archetype is to dna immortality immortality through baby and you can see that that's that's what lady that's the one reason that lady gives to not go out on the adventure with tramp she says but what about baby and you know in the show she's talking about like jim deer and darling's baby but actually we see at the end of the movie she's talking about her babies she wants to have a a safe like house with a yard and all that stuff for babies for safe babies and so it's interesting because Tramp is on this heroic journey, but in some ways, because her job in every heroic myth, we've talked about this before, there's the heroic choice where the hero has to choose between either going off and living the life of legend or staying with the family and having a different kind of DNA. You give up your legendary status, but you have DNA immortality, right? That's usually, that's a heroic myth and it's given to all the the ancient heroes that happens, and they say no. They they say no thank you. I'm going to go live my legendary life. That's why we know them as heroes now. But with this one and with a lot of the Disney movies it's really interesting. It almost seems like the tension between these two archetypes happens, the masculine hero myth and the feminine hero myth. Because in this one this is Lady's story. She's the hero of this. So we're in a feminine archetype story. For her, she wins when she convinces Tramp to stay with her. Hmm. Right? And make baby and have baby and protect baby. And that's actually how he proves himself to her at the end is he protects the baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause she, he, she was done with him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just a tramp. You're just using me. I want to take just a second to kind of retouch on one of our philosophies that as we're discussing kind of the, 
male, not, not male and female, but masculine and feminine archetypes that were, it's descriptive and not prescriptive. Like we're not necessarily saying that all women have a journey to then go into the world and make baby and keep some male in their world from going out and becoming a legend. Yeah. And if you want to hear more opinions about that, go listen to our first, the first one of these podcasts that you and I did together, where we, we talk Mm -hmm. about what we're talking about with these myths. Like we're really looking at like, yeah. Yeah. I just want to like highlight that anybody listening, like it is not to say that the right way of being is you as a woman need to like find some man and keep him down and make him have babies with you. Like that's definitely not what we're saying. In fact, I would say this story of Lady and the Tramp even art like even highlights the opposite, that there's not really a right way of being. That there's pros and cons to being a tramp. There's pros and cons to having a safe and secure home life and family and that each person individually can figure out for themselves like what their balance for their life is and be able to design it knowing that like there's going to be kind of this tension between the safety and security and some kind of other type of freedom to like adventure and legendary experience. And you actually brought up a really good point because this lady in the tramp also mirrors the dichotomy between like having a job and starting a business. For me, that was like the biggest point that I took away from this movie, especially as somebody who works with people who are starting their own businesses or have their own businesses, trying to go from that transition of the security of having a a job and like having insurance. And there's so many people in society around us saying like, well, you got to have insurance. Like you can't not have insurance. You need that 401k. And so breaking into becoming like starting your own business and becoming an entrepreneur or solopreneur becoming a freelancer necessarily means foregoing some of that security of somebody else always supplying you with the work that you then have to develop a new skill set of figuring out how do you find the people who want what you have to offer and show up vulnerably saying, here's what I do. Would you like it? And being faced with that over and over again. Yeah. And you, you see that Tramp is at heart a salesperson. Because from the very mo- first scene we see him, he's already setting up the tension because he he wants Lady, presumably. So he's already setting up the tension for her and her reality of like planting the seeds of what's going to happen that's going to be so uncomfortable for her. So he's like building up a pain-pleasure dichotomy for her right from the beginning. He's like, you used to have steaks. Now you're going to have baby food. You used to have a, hot, a warm fire. Now you're going to have a... a a doghouse, you know, and he's like really speaking from his experience. It's almost like I've lived this life. I know all about it. And that's why I'm free now. But you even see he's like a, a salesperson because even when he like he's very entrepreneurial, he's really trying to he's like trying to figure out he when he goes to talk to the beaver, he's like he, he convinces the beaver to snap her out because she's trapped in the muzzle. And he's like, oh, we got to get you out of this muzzle. So let's go. And he goes to the beaver and he like sells the beaver on the muzzle. He's like, and the beaver's like, I don't have time to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, well, because the beaver's working really hard to push this log. And he's like, yeah, that's because you don't have a log puller. <laughs> and the beaver's like, what? <laughs> a log puller? What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, this thing right here, it'll just, you just wrap it around the log and it'll pull you. He's like, well, I'd have to try it. <laughs> so he snaps him out of it. Anyway, there's this like real, like kind of scrappy entrepreneurial nature that we see in Tramp. So I really, I like that you picked up on that, that there's this dichotomy. I also think my sense is the way that the Tramp is, kind of depicted a little bit, especially in that scene with the beaver is kind of like a little bit of the like dirty salesman, hard sell, 
infomercial. It, it felt like it was, you know, where where it could have been some sort of like, hey, let's all work together and like create something new. It was like he was trying to kind of trying to trick the beaver instead of just saying like, hey, we're in a bind. We have this thing that could help you. Hey, do you want to like help us out? And then you can use this thing to be the log puller. And ultimately, like when Tramp ends at the end of the story as like a housed dog, it's kind of like this messaging within our society that is kind of pushing up against entrepreneurialism or like it's like a society that really values safety and security and kind of portraying the tramp as disingenuous a little bit as a salesperson, which I think really contributes to our own like societal narrative around like sales is bad. It's interesting that you say that because I don't see it that way because he, he goes to the beaver and what happens is he's solving a problem, right? And he's solving a problem for lady and he's solving a problem for him and he's solving a problem for the beaver, right? And so what happens is he comes up and he tries to to get the beaver, to have a conversation with the beaver. And the beaver says, no, I'm not interested in having a conversation. I'm too busy doing what I'm doing right now. But he still has this problem that he's trying to solve. And so he's like, okay, well, let's put it in terms that are helpful to the beaver. Because it's not a sleazy sales tactic. What he does is he actually takes a problem that he has and a problem that the beaver has. He merges them into the same problem. And then it actually solves both problems. Like by the, at the end, the beaver's yeah. really happy that he made the purchase. Functionally, functionally, yeah. And also Tramp does say like, hey, these things reduce something by 66% and it works in X number of cases. Like he has some sort of data on this product that he doesn't actually have. That's not even like a real product. Yeah, but but he he's right. He winds up being right. Like no sooner does the beaver get the log puller around him than the the log that he was having such a hard time getting in place winds up in place. Right. Because it seems like you, you want to call him a car salesman or a disingenuous, but he actually solves a legitimate problem and he just does it with his power of belief in the solution to the problem. And he comes and he shares his belief. And it actually does wind up being at least 66% easier to get. It, it is an interesting kind of way to look at, because we do talk about sales a lot with our with our clients, right? Of if the beaver was kind of in the middle of this log project, and if Tramp wasn't able to get his attention, putting the benefits in, even though there was benefit for Tramp and Lady as well, but putting the messaging in the mind of like what the beaver gets out of it as a way to like inspire the beaver into action is kind of a, an interesting like sales lesson that we can take away from that little anecdote. Mm -hmm. And he even follows the ADA formula, like A-I-D-A. He, get, he gets his attention. He literally yells at him. He gets his interest because it's the name of the thing. Log puller? What? What's? The, did you say log puller? Then he gets his interest. Then he builds up a desire. He says, yeah, 66% easier, easier pulling logs. And then finally call to action. Just snap right here to kind of like sign on the dotted line or whatever, right? So he goes through like a, an actual sales process with the beaver, which I think is really cool. And and But he's very entrepreneurial. So Tramp is always like solving problems basically. And like, he is also very people focused that that's his, like, that's his path to success is he like goes out and he meets, you know, all the different restaurant owners and all the different families, just he gives them the pleasure of feeling good. Right. Cause they all love him. Everybody loves him except for the, the dog catcher. <laughs> so the other thing that I want to point out about the two heroic myths is that in some ways, while Tramp is getting pulled away from his heroic myth by lady, to go be a dad, in some ways, he's already achieved his heroic end. 
like it's almost like his quest is already over because he's literally immortalized in song. They they literally sing a song about him in the jail, right? Because his the what's her name? Pat Peg Peg. Yeah, sings a song about oh yeah, you know. In some ways, it's like his hero myth is concluded, and that's and now he can come be a part of ladies, which I think is a really interesting dichotomy. I want to talk about one other thing because we didn't we didn't talk about it yet. The this collar thing, and I, gosh, I think it's so interesting because the collar we don't think about it because they're dogs, but like a collar is a way of controlling something, and then her and her friends they're like oh you it's a collar it's like the it's the highest honor that man can bestow upon dogs which is such an interesting uh take on a collar and so what i think is really interesting in this story is that you either have a collar and a license or you go to jail indefinitely and then die and then are ultimately killed for not having a collar and what an interesting mm-hmm. thing that is and this is where i was like is that why they put the disclaimer at the front, <laughs> because mm. it's so interesting because we don't think about it when it's dogs, but, you know, and that what it means to have a collar and a license. But when you anthropomorphize the dogs and now they're people in dog bodies and you have people like wanting the collar or if they don't have a collar going to prison, essentially, it's not a big leap to see that in our own history in this in this country, at least where we had people that we had in collars. And then if they got free from the collar, we put them in prison. <laughs> and that's like, that's like the history. So I was like, is that why they put the disclaimer on? <laughs> or, or is it really because of the Siamese <laughs> cats? But I thought that was a really interesting thing. It's like, it was like the collar represented safety and all of the people with the collar, they were like bought into the idea of the collar and even trying to recruit other people into the collar. Well, this story is told from the perspective of man, right? Like if we took a deeper look into the experience of a dog, like you and I talk about this sometimes, like we've got this dog, Pixie, and she loves to just run around and sniff stuff. And putting her on a collar necessarily means like, for me, it's like safety. Like I want to keep her safe. I want to keep her from like running into the road or like running and like hurting, jumping up on somebody and like hurting them, right? So it's safety for me, but... If she had her own like free will, would she necessarily choose that for herself? I think about it a lot. And, you know, I don't I walk her without a leash all the time because Mm -hmm. for me, it's her only time where she actually gets freedom. And so we have this we have this being here who is like essentially it's not a nice way of looking at it. but It's sad to look at it that way. But she is essentially our prisoner. We, she doesn't have freedom. She doesn't really get to, she has like within the house, she can do whatever she wants to, unless she wants to go in another room right now. She's laying in this room. So she's sleeping, you know what I mean? She's, she doesn't really have any freedom. And then I'm in complete control of her life. And we like, we even call them pets, which is so funny. We like name them for the objective benefit to us. This is an object that we have that we pet. <laughs> and, and that is like what we call these things. And so it's a really interesting dichotomy for me. I, I, a lot of times I'll have ethical dilemmas around it. And I don't really know where I land on it because honestly, like I love Pixie and life without her is so sad. And I, I think she loves me too, but also like Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that what, is Stop. that what's going on? <laughs> you know, I don't know, but it's like, it just, well, it's a really I, interesting I, dilemma. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to bring this into like practical terms as far as people in their lived lives and like as a listener of this show and maybe just highlight the experience of in our world in a lot of ways, we do have a lot of expressed freedoms, but just like Pixie, there are some things that we like, we would not be part of society if we didn't conform to like certain types of action. So, I mean, the freedom ultimately might be at some point might be an illusion. And when we think that we should have more freedom than we actually do, then we set ourselves up for unrealistic expectations and we experience a lot of strife. So I, I, I bring this up because I often think about Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning in the book that he wrote. So he was a trained psychotherapist and was a prisoner during the Holocaust. And there's this beautiful moment in the book where he said, like, he was, you know, marching out for labor for the day and it's cold and his shoes are worn through. And he starts thinking about his wife, who at this point, he doesn't know if she's alive or dead. And he is just pleased with the thought of recollecting her and then he looks up and there's a beautiful sunrise and he has this really beautiful moment in the depths of like one of the most like horrific human experiences and still has the freedom ultimately to choose what he does with his mind and to me that's like the the epitome of that of that book um and a lesson that I really like appreciate for myself of thinking about it would be nice if things were different and I had more freedom and control in some aspects. And at the end of the day, nobody can take away from me how I use my mind and what I choose to like put my energy toward. I'm glad you brought that up because there's this other trope that happens in myths. And we see this in like Little Mermaid between King Trident and Ariel. What in some ways King Trident represents is the overbearing nature of societal structure right? And that it's too constricting. And so you have Ariel who just wants to have some freedom, goes off and has some adventure in direct contradiction of what her father's wishes are, right? And so you can see that that trope happens here because Aunt Sarah, she represents the same thing as King Trident does. She like is the rules, very strict, no dogs on the bed. Like she's very strict and structured, right? And that's what ultimately leads to the rising action of lady running away is because she literally tries to put a muzzle on her. Totally. Right? What I think is so interesting about what you're saying right now is, and this has been coming up in my sessions with clients lately, is that same kind of tension between follow the rules and do the right thing and subscribe to these like norms versus this desire to want to kind of self-express is playing out inside of us. This kind of tension between like there's a right way to do things and then there's a way that I want to do things. And when these two parts come into tension, we do something like Lady and we run away or we get ourselves into trouble like Little Mermaid losing her voice, right? Yeah, exactly. And I love that because, and that's, by the way, that's a tactical thing to be on the lookout for is anytime you're thinking right, wrong, good, bad, mm-hmm. should, shouldn't those, that language pattern, that is that same archetype inside of us. Yeah. It's, that's the King Trident archetype. That's the Aunt Sarah archetype. That's like putting us into a box as though there's only one way totally. to live in society. That is our collar inside of us that we've like identified, that we have praised and gotten excited about this collar because like there is a right way to do things. And if only I can figure out the right way to do things, then everything will be okay. And it's like, yeah, cool. And also the trade-off there is we'll get oppressed and experience less freedom. So I think that this movie is 
it's awesome the way that it plays it out a couple different ways. The masculine feminine archetype, freedom versus security, the haves and the have nots too. Like, like that's, that's what's showing up in this. And all of these tensions, I think why it's called lady and the tramp is that we're trying the, the movie is kind of trying to show us that there's this balanced point between the two, because you find at the re- resolution of the movie, they've got the puppies and there's the one puppy that's like tramp who is just a total rebel. He's just like, <laughs> he's trying to tear everything up. You know, the, the late, the ones that look like lady, they're all well-behaved and sweet. And then he, there's this one boy and he's running around like tearing things up or whatever. And I think that that's like what we're trying to find at the end of the day for all of us is the, the heroic resolution to this is to have both the family and the DNA immortality and the rebellious freedom in balance Mm -hmm. and in harmony Mm -hmm. for us. Totally. Cool. Great conversation. Yeah, it was such a good conversation. I don't have any more points that I would like to make. I feel pretty complete. Me either. Uh, Other than just uh, let us know if if you have any thoughts on what what else the the disclaimer was about, that's the one question. I'm like, what was that disclaimer about? So if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts on that, let us know. Otherwise, great conversation, wifey. Thanks for having it with me. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.